0: Our topic this week from the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 14, Abraham meets Melchizedek. Now the build up to where Melchizedek comes in in the beginning of chapter 14 we looked at last week and if you missed that you'll be able to see that on shalomadventure.com where Abraham, God uses Abraham to save Lot, to deliver Lot because Lot moved down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and then moved into Sodom and Gomorrah and Sodom was attacked, moved into Sodom, and Sodom and Gomorrah and some other cities were attacked and lost their battle and were taken, Lot and the people were taken captive while the king of Sodom ran off and hid and uh, then Abraham steps up to the plate and God uses him with his servants to go and chase all the way up to Dan and then even up to Damascus and deliver Lot. And then on the way back, with the people and with the spoils. Uh, the king of Sodom comes out and greets them and says, you can keep the uh, spoils, just give me the people. And then he meets the king Melchizedek. And that's where our topic continues today, in verse so till Genesis 14, verse 18. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. Melchizedek blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. Blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And so we have quite a contrast here between these two kings. We have this king of Salem, Melchizedek, and this king of Sodom, uh, both coming out, um, so I don't necessarily think they were at the same exact time, um, uh, but uh, but somewhere on the journey back, they both come out, and here we have this one who's labeled as, he's bringing gifts, he brings this bread and, and fruit of the vine, and a lot of symbolism there, and I don't think it was because Abraham was hungry, but I think it was more of that symbolism that he brought out, and later on is demonstrated in the Passover, the, the uh, unleavened bread, and the and the fruit of the vine, the blood over the doorpost, the symbolism there, and, and then uh, Yeshua using that symbolism to represent himself. And so he has this, this bread and this wine that he brings out, where the king of Sodom doesn't say he brought anything. Now, maybe that's because he was hiding in a cave somewhere, but, uh, but he didn't even pick up some flowers along the way or anything. He didn't bring anything. And, uh, and here, the, this uh, Melchizedek blesses and praises God gives the credit to God, God who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So he's giving the praise and glory to God and uh, exalting God, where Sodom just gives the credit to Abraham and kind of flatters Abraham. And then tries to take from Abraham, because really the spoils belong to Abraham at this point. And the people, everything. He's the one who went and delivered. He's the one, in, one attacked and won. And so he really had every right to all of it. And the king of Sodom said, saying, well, give me back the people. You can keep the possessions. He had really no right to any of it. Abraham could have taken them all as servants and done whatever he sold them, whatever he wanted to do with them in that day and age. So here he's called Melchizedek, king of Salem. And Melchizedek itself means... King of righteousness, Meli hazek Saddock. So, king of righteousness. So, he's got this dual kind of kingship a king of righteousness in his name, and he's literally the king of Salem. And I don't know what city was Salem in that day, but later on, there comes a city called Yerushalayim, which is the city of peace. And so, this is King of Peace, so he's the King of Righteousness and King of Peace, and he's referred to as Priest of God Most High El Elyon, and three times that phrase El Elyon is used here in these three verses. That he is the Priest of God Most High, and that he blesses Abraham, who is of God Most High. So he's saying we serve the same God. He is the priest of God Most High, Melchizedek is, and Abraham is of this, and this God Most High, El Elyon, has delivered and worked through Abraham and delivered his enemies into his hand. And these are really the only three verses. There's a few more words, and we'll see that in the next slide. But this is really the only three historical verses about Melchizedek. When I say historical, we're going to see a few more verses about him, But here, historically, where he's actually doing something, where he's coming and he's giving bread and wine and where he's saying something, historically, what he actually did. Other than that, we don't have anything listed of where Salem was. Uh, We don't have any uh, listing of his parents. Often we have Solomon, son of David, David, King David, son of of, uh, uh, Jesse, right, very good, Jesse. you know we have the lineage of Moses, and we have lineage of very various people, right? Uh, Abraham, son of Tara, and uh, Isaac, son of Abraham. Right? So we have this these genealogies, these listing of who's their parents. We don't have any listing here. We don't have any date of birth or where he was born. And then we don't have any that Abraham had any contact with him prior. How did he know of Abraham? How did he come out and do this and know anything about Abraham? Abraham's been in Canaan for a little bit of time by now. He didn't come out when Abraham came back from Egypt, and, but now he shows up on the scene here. And then we don't have any listing of anything historically about him afterwards. You know, did Abraham, why didn't Abraham move to Salem? Hey, if you're the king of Salem and you're such a nice guy and you serve the God most high, then uh, maybe I should live there, set my tents up near Salem. And you could be my king and we could, uh, you know, be together. Uh, doesn't mention them getting together for hummus or anything, you know, getting together to eat something or anything, and then mention them uh, coming together ever again for Sabbath worship or anything. This is it: three verses of Abraham's uh, contact, physical contact with Melchizedek, king of Salem. It's kind of interesting. Karen just kind of comes in; it's in the middle of the story. It's kind of thrown in there. And the story goes on, the chapter goes on, as we looked at last week with the rest of the, of the account. And then on to the next chapter, just kind of this kind of a side thing, this kind of parenthetical thing there. Oh yeah, this king of, Melchizedek, king of Salem, comes and does this. And then the other verses recorded here with this, in still part of this verse 20. He, Abraham, gave him, Melchizedek, a tithe of all. So, tithe of all? All of what? Did he give him all of what he had gained his whole life? Uh, maybe, you know, he probably got an inheritance when his father died, everything he brought out of Ur, and then when his father died in Haran. Uh, or then when he went down to Egypt and he came out with even more possessions, was he saving that up to just the right time? And then gave him the tithe of all of that? And no doubt his flocks and herds were having children along the way. And, so did he give him a tithe of that? No doubt. But also is the all here that he gave him a tithe of all that he had delivered, of all the possessions of the people of Sodom or the other cities. And I think that makes sense because that's in context of what is taking place right here. Especially with the king of Sodom saying, you can keep all the possessions, just give me the people. And here by Abraham giving a tenth of that, to Melchizedek, he's really saying, none of this king of Sodom belongs to you anymore. You lost it when you ran for the hills. And you lost it when you didn't protect your people. And and I'm the deliverer, and so really, by right, it belongs to me, and really, by right, belongs to God, all of it. But God commands for 10% to be given to him, so he gives him a 10% of that. And again, demonstrating that it rightfully is God's and rightfully uh, was Abraham's. But Abraham has chosen to allow it to remain with the people and go back with the people back to to Sodom. And so that's all, again, historically, that's written about Melchizedek. But then we go another 1,000 years from that time to King David's day, and King David writes a psalm Psalm 110, it says, a psalm of David. Verse 1 The Lord, Yudhei said to my Lord, Adonai, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And this is quoted in other parts of the Bible. That verse, that verse 1, very interesting verse. And then verse 4 The Lord, Yudhei has sworn and will not relent, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And that is also quoted later on in the Bible, and that's what we're going to be looking at. But going back up to verse 1, this is pretty interesting. You have this Lord and Lord. So we have the Lord, vav hey Lord, said to my Lord, so another lord, so two lords sit at my right hand, and so this second lord is sitting at the right hand of yud heh vav Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Obviously, a messianic, prophetic uh, version here, verse here. And that he's sitting at the right hand of El-El-Yon and he is at the yud heh and his enemies will become his footstool. He'll walk all over them, walk across them. Judgment will be his. He will win the ultimate battle. And then in verse 4, the same yud heh Lord has sworn and will not relent you, that same you that Adonai Lord you, whose enemies will be his footstool, is a priest and a forever priest in the order like Melchizedek. You'll be like that one that came to Abraham. You'll be like him with a forever priesthood. It's kind of an interesting thing. So David, looking back to Melchizedek, a thousand years prior to that time, but also looking forward to that the Messiah, who will be a priest like Melchizedek. He will become a priest in that order, like Melchizedek. So let's look at some of the places. So the the writer of the book of Hebrews quotes this verse, this verse 4 out of Psalm 110, five different times in the one letter to the Jewish people. The word Hebrews is not used in the book of Hebrews, five different times. That's kind of interesting. You Have know, you ever written a letter to someone, or a card, or something like that, and you, you include a Bible verse in it? Yeah, that's nice. But it'd be a little redundant if you included that same verse five times in that letter. You know, if there was a sermon, and the, the same verse was quoted five times over and over again. That's what he does. So he puts great importance on this, and not only quoting that verse verbatim five times, but talks about Melchizedek over the span of the majority of three chapters. Now we're going to look at all those verses, those three chapters, but we're going to look at some verses out of those three chapters, out of the book of Hebrews. So starting in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1, actually it goes all the way back to 5, 6, and 7, but we'll be in 7, verse 1. This Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. So he basically, first verses, retells the story of, as we read, of Melchizedek coming out and meeting Abraham, and then, like we looked at, brings out the point that, you know, we know nothing else about him. We have no genealogy, no beginning, and no end, no death, no where did he die, where was he buried, where was a memorial for him. Nothing about him. And so he brings that out. And then, continue still, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 4, Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. Indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who receive the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. So he's saying here he's greater than Abraham. Abraham is giving tithe to him, even though he's not of the Levitical line. Because when we get to the commandments, we get to the book of uh, Leviticus, it says that the tithes would go to Aaron and his sons, the tribes of Levi, but here is being given to Melchizedek and Abraham is giving it to him, even though he is not from that tribe. Verse 7, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. So again, he's greater in that Abraham gave tithe, and not a contradiction that the lesser is blessed. So Melchizedek is blessing Abraham, and so Melchizedek playing that role of greater than Abraham and blessing Abraham, and Abraham acknowledging that by returning his tithe to Melchizedek. Verse 9, even Levi, who receives tithes, he ties through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now this I find very interesting. It's kind of a very interesting theology here. Now if you were to come up to me and say, oh, I, I was reading the Bible and I came up with this thought that uh, you know, Levi kind of gave tithes to Melchizedek because he was in the loins of Abraham. I'd say, you're crazy. You're really stretching it here. You know, but since this is in the Bible and we believe the book of Hebrews is inspired by God, we, we gotta believe it's true you know, and accurate. And it is true in, in the, so to speak, sense, but, uh, but it's got because I, at this point, I mean, it was one thing if Abraham was pregnant and, 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 and Levi was in his belly in the womb, or if Sarah was pregnant you know, and Sarah gave the tithe, and Levi was in her womb at the time, you could say, well, yeah, she's he's, he's in the loins and, and there he's giving tithe in a sense. Levi is not even alive yet. Abraham dies before Levi is even born. Levi is his great great grandson, right? So I mean, you're talking down the line to say that Levi was in the loins of Abraham. You know, is is uh, is? I mean, we're all in the loins of Abraham then, right? And I gave tithes, and all the physically or spiritual in the loins of Abraham. we all gave tithes to Melchizedek. In that sense, you want to keep going a few generations. You know, you can do that. But his reasoning is solid of why he brings us up. That Levi giving tithes, because Abraham gave tithes, returned tithes to Melchizedek. Verse 11, still Hebrews 7. If perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek? and not be called according to the order of Aaron. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar." So Melchizedek is not from one of the tribes, even though the tribes gave tithe to Levi. And yet he's receiving. And then you have David coming along, again, inspired by the Lord, saying that there's going to be a priest, not from you're going to be a priest forever after the order of Aaron, in talking about the Messiah, but rather one like Melchizedek, who is unique, different than Aaron. Aaron was Levitical high priest, but he was not king. King David was king, but he was not a priest in the temple. Two different roles. One assigned to Judah and one assigned to Levi. But here Melchizedek is both. He's king, king of Salem, king of righteousness, king of peace, but also the priest of El priest of God Most High. So this dual in one person. And that's what he's getting at here. That David was prophesying that the Messiah would have this role of being both at the same time. That he would be like Melchizedek in being a king and being a priest. And not mentioned here, but also a prophet. All three of which received the anointing. The Moshiach. The anointed with oil. The priests, the the prophets, the priests, and the kings, all receiving the anointing. And Yeshua plays all three roles. Verse 14 For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. And yet it is far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life, for he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So not just an earthly, not just a limited time, not just through physical flesh and blood, not just through genealogy receiving the priesthood, Aaron's children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, or David's Children and grandchildren receiving the kingly role. But through God's order of a divine way, God's appointing and forever. Where David died, Solomon died, Aaron died. This one has a priesthood forever. Verse 20, still, Hebrews 7. Inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said of him to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Verse 22, by so much more, Yeshua has become a surety of a better covenant. And so we see him pulling it all together here. He's referring to the Messiah. Messiah like Melchizedek. And who is this Melchizedek? Now, Melchizedek might have been a literal person who physically lived and actually did have a birth date, who actually did have parents, just not listed, who actually did die and was buried somewhere, just not listed. And that's perfectly possible. And who prefigured in the way that Abraham prefigures and Moses prefigured and David prefigured the Messiah in various different ways. Or he very well could have been Yeshua in a pre-incarnate form. The Bible says that Abraham met him. Abraham saw his day and was glad. And so that could have been the case, or it could have been when, at another time where three men appear, and we'll get to that in a few weeks, three men come and appear to Abraham, and it turns out that those three men weren't actually men. Two of them were angels, and one of them was the Lord God, was the Messiah. And so it could have been one of those times where he appears as a man. There are other times in the Bible where we have Yeshua appearing to people as a man, but it was prior to his coming in the flesh. And so it could have been that. It could have been Yeshua actually coming and playing that role for that three verses, for that time, for that contrast between the true Lord God and the King of Sodom, to receive the tithe from Abraham of the spoils and for the prophetic implications. Could have been that as well. Either way. Hebrews 7 verse 23. There were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. That we have this unchangeable priesthood. That he does not die, that he does not change his attitude, that he does not change his mind. sealed forever. And that he's there, and he's able to save us to the uttermost no matter how degraded, no matter how far we fall, no matter how bad our past has been, he is able to save to the uttermost. The most vile person on this earth, the most demon-possessed person on this earth, his power is able to save all. His power is able to save any and everyone who comes to him. He has already paid the price For all, to the uttermost. He has counted all under sin, and he died for all, that all have died in him. That's all have the opportunity to accept the salvation that he has already given to them. Saved to the uttermost. Has saved all. Paid the price for all. Freely given salvation to all. Not everyone's going to receive it. The majority won't receive the free gift, but he is saved to the uttermost. And utterly saved us. Not only saved us from the punishment of death, not only saves us from the punishment of sin, but also in, in the future, but also in the here and now, saves us from the power of sin in the here and now, saves us from the temptation to sin. In the here and now, saves us from the control that sin has had over us. Delivers us from the bondage that we've been under. Gives us victory over sin. Gives us the power to have our lives changed and transformed back into his image. Not just forgiven, but more than forgiven forgiven and cleansed and totally cleansed and the sins blotted out, no more in remembrance, no more having influence over us anymore, setting us free, that we can be free indeed and live new lives after his manner, in his righteousness, because Melchizedek is the king of righteousness, And he lives that righteousness in and out of us and fills us with his peace, a peace that passes all understanding. He comes into our hearts and into our minds and lives out his life in us and through us by his grace, for his honor and glory, by his power. Say, save to the uttermost and is always alive and always making intercession for them. He's always there before the Father, pleading his blood at the right hand of the Father, pleading his blood, reminding the Father, I have died for them. Have mercy upon them. And thus he counts all as if they've never sinned. He looks at you and me, regardless of our shortcomings, regardless of our problems. He looks at us as his beloved child and loves us. Isn't it wonderful to have someone praying with you? Yes. Have a prayer partner. Yes. Isn't it wonderful when you're going through some stressful time to be able to call someone up and ask them to pray for you? Isn't it wonderful to know that others love you and are concerned about you and are praying for you? Whether you send them an email or a text or a request and they send back, yes, I just prayed for you. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it wonderful? Yes. But you know, sometimes there isn't. Sometimes there isn't somebody there to pray for. Sometimes it's just circumstances, situations. Sometimes we don't have time to even send out a notice. But we always have someone to pray with us. Yeshua always lives to make intercession for us. We never pray alone. So we can claim that promise. Where two or more are gathered together, we always have somebody praying with us. Whether here on earth, in the flesh, but always in the heavenly realm, he is there praying with us. And it's not so much that we are praying; he is pr- that we are praying that he is praying with us. We are praying with him. Right? We're joining him. He's already been in prayer. <laughs> right? We're entering into prayer with him. He's praying 24/7 for us, and we're joining with him. We're entering into the prayer time with him because he is always there, interceding on your behalf. He knows what's happening. He knows what's coming down the pike at you. He knows what's on the road ahead of you. He knows what health situation's coming. He knows what financial strength's coming. And he's already there before us, knowing it's coming into our lives and chooses whether or not he's going to allow it to pass on into our lives or not, and then praying to give us the strength and will give us the ability to see us through it. Because no temptation has taken you, but such is common to everybody. And with every temptation, he will give us a way of escape. He will give us a way through it. He will give us a way out. And so if he's allowed it, he knows it's for our good. He knows it's for our strengthening. He knows it's for our building of our faith. He knows it's for us to be an example, to enter into suffering with him, to know that we can then minister to others and we can care about them and understand what they're going through as well. And so he's always there with us. We are never alone. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. 24-7, anytime, you can... Call on him. He's there. Right? Yeah. He's there. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He never closes his eyes. His eyes are always on you at all times. Right? Thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you. you can call Larry on the phone. And if you don't happen to get Larry, and you get his answering machine, he'll say, sorry, uh, and Again, you can leave a message. If it's an emergency, call on God, <laughs> and he will answer you. I mean, he'll be able to help you out, right? And that's it, right? So he is always there. He's always available. I quote that fairly close there, right? So at all times, right, you can call on him. He is available, right? He is the 911 on your phone at all times. He's always there, always making intercession for us. And that's a wonderful promise. You can lay hold of that promise. All times, anytime, anywhere, you're out in the woods somewhere, lost, no cell phone, right? You get, lost. you get in trouble, you trip and sprain your ankle, fall down a hill, you can call on the Lord and He is there. He's waiting for you. Right? He's there for you. Amen. Verse 26 For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and it's become higher than the heavens. Who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. He is higher than it all. And that's really the purpose of the writer of Hebrews uh, and Gloria in our Bible study brought this out beautifully. That the Hebrews is all about that God is greater than it all. you got all these examples, all these various different people, examples of righteousness and holiness, and God is greater than them all. So even of Melchizedek, who is greater than Abraham, and the Messiah magnifies it all, and is greater than it all, he is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Right? It's wonderful to be able to have Aaron praying for you, right? or Moses praying for you, or David praying for you, or Abraham praying for you. But he's higher than them all, undefiled, holy, harmless, separate from sinners. And he's the one who's praying for us. The prayers of a righteous man availeth much. And he is the righteous one. And he's always praying according to the will of the Father. And so if we pray according to the will of the Father, and two or more are gathered in the presence, he hears and answers the prayers. So we have the two. You and the Lord, and He's praying in accordance with the Father. And so, if you're in agreement with Him, and He you says your will be done, then you know the prayer is answered, yes. according to God's will and in God's way. And we can trust in Him because He is higher than it all, and He's already offered up Himself for us all, once and for all, for all, once for all, for all time, and for all people. He offered Himself. He loves us with such a great love, yes. while we were yet sinners. Yes. while we were his enemies, while we didn't know him, while we didn't want to know him, yes. while we were selfishly caught up in ourselves, he first loved us. Always. And because of that first love, he draws all people onto himself. Yes. Then to chapters eight, Hebrews chapter eight, verse one. Now, this is the main point of these things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. That's the main point of the three chapters before bringing Melchizedek in. And even the chapter before that, the whole buildup of chapters one through seven in Hebrews. This is the main point he's been driving at. We have, currently, now, today, and forever, before, and in the future, we have such a one, undefiled, whole, without blemish, separate from sinners, not influenced by others, not influenced by the pressures of this world, not distracted by the things of this world, who has nothing better to do all day and all night long than to intercede on your behalf, Such a one king of righteousness, a king of peace, who's all righteous and all peace, who's surrounded with righteousness and surrounded with peace, and who covers us in his righteousness and covers us with his peace, and lives out his righteousness in us and lives out his peace in us. We have such a one as this, who's seated at the right hand of the Father. Right? Harking back to Psalm of David, Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. Sit at the right hand of the throne and the majesty in heavens, High above the distractions of this earth. He's able to see through it all. And he sees your situation. A minister of the true tabernacle. The sanctuary of the true tabernacle. Which he erected himself. Paving the way for our eternal salvation. That we can live forever with him. Receiving and starting now and on forever. Then back into Hebrews 6, verse 19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Yeshua, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. We have an anchor in the Holy of Holies, right at the throne of God. Yeshua is that anchor, and it's a sure anchor. It doesn't move. It holds steadfast and sure. Anchor thrown down deep into the water. Grabbed onto the strong rocks below. And no matter the waves and no matter the torrent that comes, no matter if the boat goes up and the boat goes down, ups and downs in our lives, blown hither and thrown, we will not be shaken. We'll not run across against the shores. We'll not run out into the middle of the ocean and be lost. We will stay firm and secure as we lay hold of him. We allow him to hold fast to us. He is an anchor that doesn't let go. He's an anchor that's sure, and he's there in the Holy of Holies for us. Sure and steadfast, the rope won't break. The rope won't break. He's there. No matter what we're going through, no matter what we're experiencing now or in the future, he's there for us. He's behind the veil. He's in the presence of the Father. He's pled his blood in our behalf as the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Upon the mercy seat of the ark of God's covenant, he's there for us. And he has you on the palm of his hands. He's engraved you into his heart. He will not forget you. You are his child. He loves us with an everlasting love. And so whatever is going on in your life right now, you're needing his intercession. You're needing his forgiveness for some sin in your life. Lay it before him. Let there be no spot upon your record. He's there entering into judgment on our behalf. He's going to make his enemies, who are our enemies, his footstool. He's going to crush the serpent's head once and for all. Satan's a defeated foe. So if you have enemies in your life, sin enemy, temptation, struggles, addictions, habits, internal enemies in the mind, heart, guilt from the past, outside enemies, Satan using persons or situations to harass and try you. The moment we pray, surrender it at his, at Yeshua's feet. Let him take it into the holy voice. Let him purge it with his blood. Forgive it and wash it away and cleanse you and set you free. If you're weighed down with troubles, maybe you're concerned for someone, maybe you have a loved one who doesn't know the Lord, maybe someone who once knew the Lord and has turned their back on him, maybe some other situation in your life, a health situation, a financial situation, some cares, some weights, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Lay them upon him. Let him carry them with you. He's there interceding in your behalf. The moment we pray, join him in praying for you, or that person, or that situation. If you're going through struggles in your life and being tossed around, beaten up physically, or spiritually, or emotionally, Highs and lows in your life. Grab a hold of his anchor. Grab a hold of his rope. Grab a hold of his lifeline. His salvation. Grab a hold of his hand. He'll hold you. He won't let you go. He'll let you let go, but he won't let go. Hold fast to him. Trust in him. Lay all your burdens at his feet. All your cares. Let the worries, the fears, the anxieties, the depression melt away. He is the king of peace. Receive his peace. Peace be unto you. Shalom malachim. There's some area of obedience that God's calling you to. Some area of righteousness that he's wanting to live out of you, some area of ministry, some deed, some action. He is the king of righteousness as well. So in a moment when we pray, ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit and to empower you to move forward by his power, by his righteousness, to be filled with his righteousness, to be filled with him at the righteous acts that he does he will do through you. That he will work like he worked through Abraham. He will work through you and deliver those. He's calling you to help. You. Any of those areas apply to you or maybe some other area God's been speaking to your heart? Let us pray. Our Lord, our God, thank you for interceding your blood in our behalf. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. Thank you for cleansing us of them. Thank you for washing them away. Thank you for pre-forgiving us. Thank you for loving us with an everlasting love. Thank you that you know our situations, you know our hearts, you know our issues. Thank you that you've saved us to the uttermost. Thank you that you're there before the Father's throne praying for us and interceding for us. Thank you, Lord. And We want to join you in prayer. We want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want your will to be done in our lives. Your will, not ours. We surrender all to you. Lord, we want to surrender those that we love to you. Ask that you minister in their behalf. May you go before them, before us, and reach them. Minister to them. Thank you for interceding for them as well. Lord, we claim your peace. You have not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. We claim that. Lord, we claim your righteousness. Live out your righteousness in us and through us. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.